following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. We're going to be jumping into Genesis chapter 5. And uh, if you read it this week as part of your quiet time, right? Of course you did that, right? Um, you'll know it's a unique passage. And uh, before I do that, um, so how many of you were here December 26, 2004? How many of you were here December 26, 2004? Okay, remember that day? That, that's the day that um, the, the news flashed around the world and everybody was following the story of this massive earthquake under the Indian Ocean that had created this massive tsunami. And we were waiting and watching, as I'm sure you were, wherever you were in the world, especially if you were here in Southeast Asia, we were watching for, will there be a wave and how big will it be? And there were these projections and everything, you know, everybody had an idea of what was going to happen. And, and it turned out to be absolutely horrific in its devastation. Over a quarter million people, um, by some estimates, perished. Uh, the waves uh, hit 5,000 miles away in Africa. Um, whole villages, whole islands were completely wiped out. We'll be this week in some of those areas uh, that were completely devastated. Whole peoples, whole tribes were annihilated. According to the Associated Press, there was, though, one notable exception to this incredible loss of life. One notable exception. The Morgan Sea Gypsies, a group that I swear that wasn't me. Uh, the Morgan Sea Gypsies, they, they spend most, most of their lives on their boats traveling between Indonesia and India and Thailand. And that's what they do. They fish, they live on their boats, but in December of every year, they live on the beach in Thailand. They live on the beach in small patches. Tell your neighbor where you were during the tsunami. You guys are a friendly bunch. It didn't take much, and you're off, off talking. So I can just give you topics for the next 20 minutes, and you guys can talk amongst yourselves. Um, this one, this one exception, the Morgan Sea Gypsies. Uh, December 2004, they were where they always were in December, living the beach in southern Thailand uh, in small thatched uh, huts, and uh, they all survived. People all around them died. Neighbors on both sides died. Everyone, and yet not one of the Morgan Sea Gypsies perished. The chief was interviewed by the Associated Press after the disaster, and this is what he said. 
For generations, our forefathers warned us that if the waters ever receded fast, they would quickly reappear in the same quantity in which they disappeared. And so on December 26, 2004, when the sea suddenly drained away, while their neighbors were grabbing baskets and running out and collecting fish that had been stranded, the chief ordered the whole tribe of sea gypsies to get up into the mountains. And so they all ran. They grabbed a couple belongings, they grabbed the babies, and they headed for the hills. Not one of them died. That story provides a striking parable for the events that surround our text this morning, Genesis 5. The opening chapters of the Bible um, are the preface. They are the introduction. They set the stage for everything else that's going to follow in the Scriptures. They explain the important things about life, who we are, why we're here, how come we are the way that we are, why is our world the way that it is. All of that is set up in these introductory chapters. The great redemption plan of God begins to unfold in just a few chapters in Genesis chapter 12 with the call of Abram. Genesis 4 and 5 set the stage for the great flood, which God unleashes on a world that has gone wrong. Everybody dies. Everybody dies except one family. Noah's small tribe survives because they listened to the voices of their ancestors and they listened to the voice of their God. We need to listen to these stories because judgment, well, you know this, don't you? Judgment is coming again. The final judgment, much bigger than a tsunami, much bigger even than a worldwide flood, it will come. Those who survive the coming judgment, like the ones who survived the last judgment will be those who listened. Remember what Jesus said, Matthew chapter 24. He says, as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Genesis chapter 5. All right, first blush, let's just admit it. It's a weird chapter. Uh, it, it, it is, it's just odd. It's one of those flyover chapters. Right, if you're reading in your scriptures, maybe you're doing the one-year Bible, that's the one where you come to it and you go, all right, it's a good day. It's a good day. I just skim over this sucker. don't have to really bear down here because there's, I mean, what am I supposed to get out of a genealogy? It's somebody else's family tree. It's, it's just odd. It's like reading parts of Leviticus where we're given laws that may or may not apply and we wonder... What's the big deal here? Why is this even in the Bible? What, what does this possibly have to do with me? Unfortunately, we, we tend to read Scripture maybe too egocentrically. What does this have to do with me? What do I get out of it? Genesis 5. We're going to dig into the details of this rather odd chapter, and I, I think we're going to find a few surprises together. Let me read Genesis chapter 5. I want to put on my... Glasses that my kids say make me look like a retarded professor. Genesis chapter 5. This is the written account of Adam's line. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. He created them male and female, and he blessed them. Doesn't that sound familiar? We were just there a few chapters ago. 
And when they were created, he called them man. When Adam had lived 130 years, he had a son in his own likeness, in his own image, and he named him Seth. After Seth was born, Adam lived 800 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Adam lived 930 years, and then he died. When Seth had lived 105 years, he became the father of Enosh. And after he became the father of Enosh, Seth lived 807 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Seth lived 912 years, and then he died. When Enosh had lived 90 years, he became the father of Kenan. And after he became the father of Kenan, Enosh lived 815 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Enosh lived 905 years, and then he died. When Kenan had lived 70 years, he became the father of Mahalalel. After he became the father of Mahalalel, Kenan lived 840 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Kenan lived 910 years, and then he died. When Mahalalel had lived 65 years, he became the father of Jared. And after he became the father of Jared, Mahalalel lived 830 years and had other sons and daughters altogether. Mahalalel lived 895 years. Can you say it with me this time? And then he died. When Jared lived 162 years, he became the father of Enoch. And after he became the father of Enoch, Jared lived 800 years, had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Jared lived 962 years, and then he died. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he became the father of Methuselah. And after he became the father of Methuselah, Enoch walked with God 300 years, had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Enoch lived 365 years. Enoch walked with God, then he was no more because God took him away. When Methuselah had lived 187 years, he became the father of Lamech. And after he became the father of Lamech, Methuselah lived 782 years, had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Methuselah lived 969 years, help me, and then he died. When Lamech had lived 182 years, he had a son. He named him Noah, and he said, He will comfort us in the labor and painful toil of our hands caused by the ground the Lord has cursed. And after Noah was born, Lamech lived 595 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Lamech lived 777 years, and then he died. After Noah was 500 years old, he became the father of Shem, Ham, and Japheth. All right. What stands out? I mean, what, what first jumps out at you as we read through those verses? Hmm? Yeah, they all died. Except, except one, right? Anything else? Yeah, they lived a long... All right. What happened 800 years ago? Any, anybody remember anything? I mean, anybody, any, any history professors, teachers in here? Crusades? Yeah. So this, this would be like a dude born during the Crusades who still lives. I, I had a guy in my church when we first planted who was 99 years old. Most of us were young families. We had a ton of babies. In fact, the 70 adults had 57 kids. Highly productive. And yet we had this 99-year-old dude who came along with us to help us plant this church. And I remember asking him on more than one occasion, why are you here? I see you turn your hearing aids off at worship. He's like, yeah, I don't really like the worship. Why are you here? He said, I love the energy. And I remember when he turned 100, I went with a couple of 
my girls, the oldest two, are now 18 and 16. Back then they were much younger. And we went and he sat in his living room in a little town called Sultan. Total redneck town. And I said, tell us about the last hundred years. And so he told us about the first time he saw a light bulb. The first time he saw an automobile. The first time that he saw a flush toilet. He, all of those things. That's only a hundred years. Imagine these people living since the Crusades. Anything else stand up? All right, we'll look at it together. When I was a young boy, we used to travel across the country. We uh, could never afford to fly in our family. We, we, uh, we grew up in parsonages. My dad was a pastor in churches that believed that it was their job to keep the pastor poor and it was God's job to keep him humble. And so I, I grew up getting parented by elders and uh, deacons and I actually hated most of them uh, as a kid growing up. And so we would escape every summer and dad would find a way to have the ministry at least pay a little bit of it, like go visit a conference or something really boring from a child's perspective. But we had this old yellow station wagon. Yellow. It looked like a big, long banana. And it had somebody's great idea to put fake paneling down the side of this thing. And us kids, back, that's back then, it was like Thailand. Nobody cared if you wore a seatbelt unless you came to a police checkpoint, right? So we, we all would pile in the very back of this thing, all of us kids, and we'd read books and play games and hit each other. And, just, and we were far enough away that Dad couldn't reach us with the flail, right? <laughs> and uh, we would travel all the way across the country, usually to California or to Arizona or, or whatever. No matter where we went, no matter what summer it was, one thing was guaranteed on these trips. We would stop at every cemetery that my mom saw. The older, the more rundown, the better. And she always had etching paper. You know what that is? She'd, she'd have this thin, transparent paper and charcoal, and she'd go and she'd wander around the cemetery, and the rest of us would just be, ah. Bored out of our minds, creeped out by the whole concept of walking on dead bodies. So we would stay off to the side, and every once in a while she'd call us over, Oh, look at this one, it's hysterical! And we'd all come and look at it and be something, you know, finally she had rest from her toil and her children. You know, there'd be something like that on an epitaph. And, but she'd be doing these etchings, and we had tons of those etchings. Mom loved to go to cemeteries. There was something fascinating about it to her. I have a daughter who's off singing in Allahu village, so she's not here to defend herself, who loves to go visit the cemeteries around our home in Monroe. Well, today, we are walking through a cemetery. My mom would love this message. She would love this passage. What I want to do today is, is help us to find some glimpses, some glimmers, some glimpses of hope in a time of death. Glimpses of hope in a time of death. It is a chapter of death. Uh, eight times it says, and then he died. Ten generations from Adam to Noah. And when I look at a passage on death like this, it, it makes me ponder the question, what do I want on my tombstone? 
What kind of epitaph do I want others to remember me by? What kind of eulogy? If you could write the eulogy, what others will say about you, read after you're gone. What, what do you hope for? remember as an exercise at some point in the last 10 years actually writing out what I hoped others would remember me by. He loved well. He multiplied leaders, churches, and ministries. That, that's, that's my hope, if I could write it. Unfortunately, once you're dead, you lose your vote, right? And then other people will actually tell the truth. If not in public, they'll tell the truth to each other. What do you want to be remembered for? These people lived remarkably long lives, incredible spans of time. But they died. They died. If one thing didn't get them, something else did. One might have lived 100 years longer than his father or than his son, but they all still died. You are going to die. I'm going to die. There is no guarantee, especially in this church, that this gathering will ever happen the same people ever again. How do you want to be remembered? What we're reading in Genesis chapter 5 is a result of the curse. Remember? Remember the, the serpent's promise? Oh, <laughs> you won't surely die. And then as part of the curse... Romans 6.23 tells us the wages of sin is what? It's death. It's death. Glimpses of hope in a time of death. First glimpse of hope. Let me take you to the first two verses. First glimpse of hope. You and I are made in the image of God. When God created man, He made him in the likeness of God. He created them male and female, and He blessed them. And when they were created, He called them man. We're made in the image of God. It starts with God. Adam's line begins with God. His family tree is sourced in God. And that, that's my family tree also. It's yours as well. Several times, these two verses remind us, God made, God created. It's very clear. God blessed. God named. He called them what they would be known as. Well, those are all Mark's words, descriptors of ownership. What God is saying is, you're mine. The man and the woman, all of these descendants that come, they're mine. It starts with me. Now, you notice that it then switches a little bit. And it says that Adam's kids were made in his likeness and in his image. In other words, the, the image of God was distorted, was different after the Sepal, after Adam and Eve's sin. But what this reminds us of is the glimpse of hope we find here, that we are God's workmanship. We're made on purpose. We're made for a purpose. Your life matters. What you do matters. Many of you are in Thailand because you're serving somehow. It's possible that it could feel after months or weeks or years or even decades of service, like you see around you, death, barren. You get worn out. Your kids get worn out. You don't seem to see the fruit that you hoped for when you first had the dream. 
to go and to do. And you wonder, God, do you even care? Do you know my address? Do you know my name? Do you know my ministry? Do you know my family? Do you give a rip anymore? Quick glimpse of hope in a time of death. Coming out of a genealogy, a walk through the cemetery, is that it begins with God. He made us on purpose. He made us for a purpose. And He knows your name. He knows your address. He knows your family. He knows your worries. He knows your ministry. And He cares. Even if it looks like death all around, there's hope in God's presence and His purpose in your life. A glimpse of hope in a time of death. Second glimpse of hope. Families, families make a difference. Families make a difference. What we're reading is a family tree, but only one branch of the family tree of Adam and Eve. There was another one that we'll look at in just a moment. These guys passed on faithfulness. Adam to Seth, who was the child who replaced murdered Abel. And all of these names, they had meaning. Seth means appointed. Enosh means man or frail. Canaan means possession. Mahalalel, say that ten times fast, means praise of God. Jared means descent. Enoch means dedicated. Methuselah means when he dies, it shall be sent. Lamech means powerful. Noah means rest or comfort. Genesis 5 intentionally, intentionally mirrors Genesis chapter 4. In chapter 4, it begins with Cain murdering his brother Abel. It ends, though, with Cain's family tree. And the family goes from bad to worse. You see it in the six generations that are described in Genesis chapter 4. They prospered. They did well. They had time for music. They had time for metallurgy. They learned how to use and to smelt metals. They had time for leisure. They were doing well by all physical standards. But spiritually and morally, they deteriorated. They were corrupt from one generation to the next until finally chapter 4 ends with Lamech, different Lamech than the one in chapter 5, with Lamech bragging to his wives about how he's ten times more murderous than his great ancestor, Cain. Evil never stands still. Once it takes root, it grows. And the only thing that can stop its spread is God. Genesis 4 ends with people calling on God. And the line of Seth goes a different direction. The very end of chapter 4 says the people in that time started to call on the name of the Lord. And then it begins, chapter 5, with this lineage, this family tree. They begin to go a different direction. They start to pursue God. Catch this. Good families, good families and godly children don't happen by accident. One generation blazes a trail of faith that the next can follow. Earlier this century, a man named Hank Hedinga was a machinist in Wausau, Wisconsin, central Wisconsin. It's my ancestor. He was an alcoholic by the age of 22, slept around. Uh, following what seemed to make sense to him in terms of how to live his life. God got a hold of him. 
changed his life. He, he attended some revival meeting that he stumbled into half drunk. God spoke to him. He walked forward, surrendered his life to Jesus. And he changed. This wasn't lip service, Christianity. It wasn't, you know, I got the t-shirt and I went back to doing my own thing. This was, his life changed. And Hank always wanted to be a pastor. I don't know why. He, he wanted to be in full-time ministry. And he pleaded with God all of his life, God, would you let me be in ministry? Would you let me be a pastor? And over and over, God said the same thing to him. Not you, but your children. And so my grandfather spent an entire career, 45-plus years, as a machinist, sitting at the same bench, milling the spindles that go in the center of paper-making machines all over Wisconsin, all over the world. That's what he did for 45 years. Faithfully serving God, faithfully raising four children, faithfully serving as a deacon in his church, Wausau Bible Church, but never got to do his dream. He was simply a faithful man of God with where God had called him. Here's what happened because of that, that first trail of faith that he began as he followed Jesus. His two sons became pastors. His two daughters married pastors. Seven of the grandkids, of which I'm one, are pastors. A couple have been missionaries and are now doing other things. A number of the great-grandkids are preparing for some kind of ministry somewhere in the world. One man's faithfulness began a new direction in a family system. You know, my, my hope for my kids, part of the reason we're in Thailand, honestly, my hope for my kids is that they will not live off of my faith. My hope for my kids is that, is that the great days of following Jesus didn't happen in grandpa's life, or great-grandpa's life, or dad's life, or mom, or grandma. That the great days of faith are what Jesus is going to do in and through them. My hope is that my kids will stand on my shoulders and I'll propel them out into ministry. That they won't be jaded because of the baloney that they saw past generations endure from other Christians, that the, the hypocrisy that they saw in my life or their mom's life. That, that doesn't happen by accident. What we, what we read in Genesis 5 is this incredible glimpse of hope that, that it's possible to pass on faith just as it's possible to pass on evil one generation to the next, you can pass on faith one generation to the next. And, and it can be fresh. It doesn't have to, to start passionately and then somehow dim until finally the spark blows out. We can go from glory to glory. I'm blogging to keep in touch with friends and family in my church back home. Last Sunday after speaking, I blogged, I need help. I'm preaching on Genesis 5 genealogy. Somebody, somewhere, give me some help. Here's what I got from a fifth-generation dairy farming family in my church. 
just a, a perspective that I never would have thought of. Because in their, in their family, fathers teach the sons dairying. They work together for a decade, two, three. And then the son takes over, and for five generations, that's what they've done. Here was their perspective. Mama Froning wrote to me. Well, she had somebody else because she doesn't use computers. She had somebody else write to me and say, imagine what it would be like to have hundreds of years for fathers and sons, mothers and daughters to live life together. I don't think I'd have thought of that. Imagine the accumulated wisdom over all those years of learning together and doing life together. And imagine the possibility of accumulated evil and deceit and patterns of sin. Both are possible. And we see in Genesis 4 a bad example, in Genesis 5 a better example. We choose what to pass on to the next generation. What will your legacy be? What are you building now? Third glimmer of hope. Third glimmer in a time of death. It is possible to know God and to walk with Him even in difficult times. It's possible to know God and walk with Him even in difficult times. Take a look at Enoch, verse 21 through 24. When Enoch, Enoch had lived 65 years, he became the father of Methuselah. After he became the father of Methuselah, Enoch walked with God 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, he lived 365 years. He walked with God and was no more because God took him away. Enoch did not live in good times, but he was a good man. Circumstances do not make character. Circumstances do not create character. They can, they often do, but they don't have to. What's it mean to walk with God? I mean, it's said of, of Enoch. It's not said in the same way. I think of just one other person in all of Scripture. There are others that are said to walk before God, walk beside God, but he said he walks with God. It doesn't break that down for us. We can make a couple educated guesses. To walk with God means to know God personally. No second-hand religion. He, he's not living off of grandpa's faith or mama's faith. He, he walked with God. He traveled in the same direction. He went God's way. Eugene Peterson, a pastor in the States, wrote a book called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. I just like the title. A long obedience in the same direction. That's what it means to walk with God, to travel the way that he's traveling. A little girl, it said, uh, I read this in several places this week, she, she was explaining what happened with Enoch, and she said, it's just like some one day Enoch and God were out walking together like they always did, and they had gotten so far from home that God just said at the end of their walk, we're a long ways from your home, why don't you just come home with me tonight? And he was happy to do that. That was natural. Is that true of me and of you? Are we traveling in the same direction. To walk with God is to keep in step with Him. We want to be near Him. We make an effort to keep close to Him. And it's worth it. It is not easy to walk with God. I had a conversation a couple of weeks ago. Encouraging somebody who is struggling with identity issues. You know, am I pretty? 
Am I fat? Do people like me? And my encouragement was this. What you feed yourself matters. If what you're putting into your heart and putting into your head is all of the world's perspective of who you are, you're going to be beaten down by that. If you put instead into your heart, what does God say about me? You spend time with Him, not because you have to check off a list that I read the Bible or I had a quiet time, but you just spend time with Him because you need His perspective. You need His promises. You need His His feeding into who you are. That your identity is, is based on His view of you. It makes a difference. But that doesn't happen by accident. It's a lot easier to go on Facebook. And then the comparison game occurs. The effort of keeping close to God is worth it. That's why the New Testament uses Enoch as one of the great examples of faith. Hebrews 11. You've been here before. Hebrews 11, verse 5 and 6. Here's what it says about Enoch. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. A glimpse of hope in the time of death. You and I, we can walk with God even though our circumstances are not ideal and sometimes they're really bad. Fourth glimmer of hope, last one in this genealogy. The God that we walk with is a God of judgment and, here's the hope, and mercy. The God that we walk with is a God of judgment. That's what this whole passage is building up to, is the flood. But he's also a God of mercy. Before the judgment, God always sends a warning. And he always gives an opportunity for you and I to respond. He always does that. Noah, remember? Well, you'll, you'll be in it next week. Noah preached for 120 years while he had a hammer in one hand. He preached repentance to all of his neighbors, to anybody who would listen, to the throngs who would gather to watch the freak building a boat. For 120 years, Noah preached. But even before Noah's preaching, God reached out in mercy to the generations that are listed in chapter 5. Look at verse 22. And after he became the father of Methuselah, Enoch walked with God. Something happened to Enoch when he became a daddy. It's a pretty typical pattern, isn't it? We, we see this in, in, in our church. Uh, we're a young family church, although now that I'm getting old, not quite old, my definition of old keeps stretching. I'm 43 now. That used to be old. Now it's just spunky. Right? But uh, a common theme, especially in the first five years of our church, we still see it, is that somebody will, will come and, and they'll, they'll have God working in their life and we'll hear the same story. I, I grew up in church. I grew up, my grandma took me to a Southern Baptist church or something like that. But then I went and... You know, fill in the blanks. Was an idiot, did dumb, you know, got in trouble, messed around, did my own thing, right? Then I got married, and here, here's, here's the common theme. We had a baby. 
And that seems to be the wake-up for a lot of people. Because all of a sudden the wheels come off. We realize, I am way more selfish than I thought I was. And I married somebody way more selfish than I thought he or she was. And we have this little beast who was so cute at the outset, but wants to eat and poop and do what they do, you know. And they don't care about our feelings or about our sleep schedule or about our friends anymore because we don't have any. <laughs> right? And, and all of a sudden, that's when life becomes a little bit untenable and people start thinking about the future and they start thinking, well, what am I going to teach this thing? I, I don't even know how to live my life. I, I've messed it up for the last 15 years. So what am I going to do? And people come back to faith. That seems to be what happens with Enoch. He has this child, and God gets him in a new way. And that's when he begins to walk with God. And then he does for 300 years. I mean, to the extent, this is what he names his kid, Methuselah. Now, I know there were a lot of weird names from our perspective back in the day, but that kid was saddled with a name that he had to work to handle. Methuselah. When he dies... It will come. What will come? God knew and had spoken to Enoch about what was to come. The New Testament calls Enoch a prophet. It's not in this genealogy. A prophet who spoke judgment to his day. Take a look in Jude, another rather odd little book. Look at Jude, just before Revelation, Jude 14 and 15. Here's what it says. Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men. See, the Lord is coming with thousands upon thousands of His holy ones to judge everyone and to convict all the ungodly of all the ungodly acts that they have done in the ungodly way and of all the harsh words ungodly sinners have spoken against Him. Enoch is a prophet that the New Testament quotes. He was God's messenger of judgment and God's messenger of mercy and God's messenger of hope in a very, very dark time. Okay? God always has a witness. He names his son. When he dies, it will come. So from the day of his birth, Methuselah's life was a countdown to judgment. Every year. At his birthday, one more year closer to judgment. One more year closer to judgment. One more year closer to judgment. It's no accident that the longest living human being on record was the countdown to judgment. Methuselah, in his very life span, is evidence of God's mercy and grace. God was not in a hurry to get to judgment. He went on year after year, generation after generation passed. 969 years, God was warning of judgment and offering mercy. It's a glimpse of hope. Second Peter 3, 8 and 9 says it this way, But do not forget this one thing, my dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years. A thousand years is like a day. The Lord is not slow to keep His promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. 
It's a glimpse of hope in a graveyard. A glimpse of hope in difficult times. My hope is that as we get a chance to spend some time in this genealogy today, that you would be encouraged to use the days that you have before coming judgment, before final judgment. Use these days to walk with God, to lead your family well, and to lead others to repentance. I know that's why you're here. That's why you're here. Use these days. There is a sense of urgency. We don't have somebody named Methuselah whose life is a countdown to judgment. But we have Jesus who said, the end will come. This is the time. This is the day of repentance and the day of the Lord's favor. Walk with God. Lead your family in faith. Lead others to repentance. Heavenly Father, thank you for glimpses of hope even in times that are dark, even in times of death, or times of hopelessness, you always have a witness. You're always at work, and we can find glimmers, glimpses of your hand. Today, would you encourage our hearts? Some of us are, are weary. Some of us are wondering why we are where we are, doing what we're doing. Would you lift our heads? Would you speak to our hearts hope? We love you, Jesus. It's for your sake that we're here. It's for your sake that we're here this morning in this place. Would you receive our worship now? In your name, amen. You've been listening to a sermon recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.cctfth.org.